0: Thank you for listening to the Hope Church podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. minute. All right. Let's start. We're going to start this morning in the book of Hebrews, New Testament, book of Hebrews, and we're going to begin reading in chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2 this morning. So section 1, God has a plan for our lives and we can follow it. Amen? Amen. Let's read Hebrews 12. Whenever I say the word Hebrews, years ago, Gracie and I had uh, the Bible on audio CD. Do you remember that? It was a really big thing for a while. It had like 50 CDs of the Bible. And we lost them all over the years, all the CDs. But the one CD we had was the book of Hebrews. And for some reason, it got stuck in Gracie's CD player. And so every time she would turn on her car, this CD would start playing. And this voice would go, Hebrews chapter 1. And every time I turn to Hebrews, I hear that in my head. Hebrews, chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. First things first, we all have a race to run, and it has been set before us. That word set in the Greek is the Greek word prokamai, prokamai, and it means to be placed before your eyes, to be lined up with, to be appointed, or to be destined to. We could say it this way, the plan that God has for you is your destiny just like when Darth Vader challenged Luke Skywalker and he said, Luke, it is your destiny to follow me. And Luke said, no, I reject you, Darth Vader. I go toward the light. God has a race and a destiny for each and every one of us. This Greek word prokami is actually a compound Greek word. That means it is made up of two words. The first word is the Greek word pra, which means before or above. God's plan is always before us, And slightly above us. And the second word is the Greek word kaimai. And it means to lay down. His plan is laid out in front of us. If you've ever seen someone lay out a red carpet for people to walk on, that's what this word means. It is laid out. It's being rolled out in front of us for us to walk on. And I think this word uh, paints kind of a hilarious word in the Greek because it is a race that we're moving forward. But this word means to lay down. And look up to see God's plan, which is almost a dichotomy that we are moving forward in this race. But in order to be successful to move forward in that race, we have to lay down and look up. And this reminds me of what happened to the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. Remember, he was on the road to Damascus, and he was breathing threats against the Christians. And what happened? He was laid down and forced to look up, Right? I'm just going to turn over there. You can stay in Hebrews. I'll come back to that. But I'm going to read to you from Acts. I actually brought my Bible this morning. I'm so used to just reading the Bible on my phone. I was like, I'm going to bring the actual Bible. In Acts chapter 9, Paul, who was called Saul at this time, as he was approaching Damascus in verse 3, on a mission, a light from heavenly suddenly shone, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In verse 5 it says, who are you, Lord? That's a good question to ask. Who are you, Lord? And what does Jesus say? I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now I would like to contrast that passage with stay in Acts 9, verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him and said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, yes, Lord. Notice the difference. Paul did not know the voice of the Lord. But Ananias did. Why? Because he knew the Lord. And notice Paul, not knowing the voice of the Lord, was not told what he would do. But Ananias, knowing the voice of the Lord, the Lord tells him what to do, which tells me there is a connection between us knowing the Lord and him telling us what he wants us to do. Paul here says, who are you, Lord? Which is the first question we should ask. And the second question we should ask is, what do you want me to do? And the more you know the Lord, the more he is inclined to tell you his plan for your life. Yeah? Brothers and sisters, you will not know the plan of God apart from knowing God. I have many friends, and I engage with these friends on different levels based on our intimacy with one another, with time spent with each other, and with the trust I have of that individual. Some friends I have, we have a very surface-level relationship. And Gracie will tell you, Sean is the king of small talk with people. And I don't know about that. I think I do pretty well. But I will talk to someone endlessly on the surface. But there are very few people in my life who I've spent enough time with, who I trust enough, that I will talk to them about deeper things. So it is with our relationship with the Lord. He will not talk to you about deep things in your life if you are just engaging with him occasionally on a surface level. He will keep your relationship at that level. In fact, I'll take it a step further and say you determine the level of relationship you have with your heavenly father. But the more you have of that relationship, the more he will speak to you about your life. Notice what happens to Paul here. He's on the ground. Verse 7, the men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the voice, but they didn't see anybody. Saul picked himself up off the ground. And when he opened his eyes, he was blind. And he, his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three, de- for three days, not eating and drinking. This is not my message. This is free. This is mostly for Andy. This is, a, this, is a, this is a picture. I'm going to say this is a picture of our spiritual beginnings. We're going along our merry way. We have an encounter with Jesus. And all of a sudden, we're blind to everything that has happened in our life. And we have to be led by the hand. When we're, a, when we're a new believer, a young Christian, we have, others have to lead us into the city, right? And there in the city, he encounters a man of God named Ananias who gives him the next step. That's a picture of us coming into church, submitting to a man of God and beginning to grow up into the faith. And then if you keep reading, Ananias says, receive Paul your sight and receive the Holy Spirit. He hands him back to God to lead him on his way. That's free. That's not part of the message. I just thought that was interesting. So that was how Paul started his journey. Let's go back to Hebrews 12. And I should have marked it. Now I've lost Hebrews. Oh man, if anyone finds Hebrews, let me know where it went. I got it, Hebrews 12. So we can do this. We can run our race. We each have our own race. We're not trying to run anyone else's race. We're trying to run our race. We don't need to be jealous of anyone else's race. We don't need, oh, I wish I had, I wish I could do what that person does. I wish, I w- you know what, I wish I could play an instrument and sing on the worship team. I feel like I'd be a great part of the worship team, but you know what? Sean makes a joyful noise, and Sean is, is not going to be invited to join the worship team. Sean, Sean does this. Yeah, we can't all be triple threat like Pastor Josh, who can lead worship, teach good messages, and cook Italian food. We can't all, you know, we're not all blessed in that regard. But we have our own race, amen? And we're called to run and responsible for that race. Uh, Gracie has a preacher she enjoys watching. And I I admit, I'm jealous of this kid. He's half my age. He's better looking than I am. He has an incredible spiritual heritage, large church that he just walks in and preaches at. And you know he knows this. Because I was watching one day, he was wearing a tank top and a sport jacket, preaching on Sunday morning. I was like, I would never do that. But I'm not him, and he's not me and I'm responsible for this race. Amen? Uh, Where are we? Hebrews 12, and let's look at verse 2. Enough about that. Verse 2 says, We do this, we do what? Run our race. By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. If you were raised with the King James like I was, you know that it says he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, uh, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. That's a key to let you know Jesus finished his race. He went first, and he finished his race. Mm -mm. Where am I? I wrote a lot of notes, and then I wrote on top of those notes. And now I'm like, there's a lot of ink on this page. Jesus has gone before us. Jesus has prepared the way for our race. He went first. If you feel like you're trudging along, breaking new ground, know this. There is a great cloud of witnesses watching and cheering you on from heaven. And Jesus went first. I enjoy, let me paint a little picture here. I enjoy rock climbing. And Gracie and I last, about about a year ago, it was last May, we went to the desert uh, in the west, and we went to uh, California, Nevada, Utah, and Arizona, and spent 10 days in the desert, and I loved it. The desert is so cool. It is the most opposite of the high country you can possibly ever be, and uh, because it was for my birthday, Gracie humored me, and we went rock climbing three days. It was amazing, and we were climbing at this place called the Red Rock Canyon, which is in Nevada, and it is gorgeous, and uh, we were climbing at a crag called Cowlick Crag. I didn't name it. That's just the name of it. And whenever we climb together, I try to make Gracie go first. And I'm not doing that just to be mean. It is fascinating to me to watch her climb something first because she is such a good climber. Um, She grew up dancing, and she has incredible balance, and she's very aware of how to keep herself balanced. And so she is such a better climber than I am in that regard. You know, us men, we just want to do pull-ups on the rock because we're like, yeah, we can do it. Lady, she just kind of dances up the rock. But it's amazing to watch her go first because it is so much easier to watch someone do something and then repeat what they do. The hard part is always having to go first because you gotta figure it out as you go. So we're attached together, she and I by a rope, so there's a rope running up the rock and there's a rope right, so we're connected together. And she's going first and she is showing me where to put my hands and where to put my feet as she moves up this rock. Well now it's my turn, we switch places, so I start going, and she just, I mean, she climbed this climb effortlessly. I was like, oh, this must be easy. I get up there. It was so hard. I was like, how did she do that? And then all of, like, your husband comp- competitive comes out, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to fall off this rock. I mean, she did it. I'm going to do it. I made it, and I was totally safe, but I was freaking out because of how difficult it was. It was scary, and I was unsure, even though I was connected and tied to her, and even though she had went first. So it is with our partnership with the Lord. He has already gone first. He is already showing you the way, where to put your hands, where to put your feet. You are connected to him, but when we keep our eyes on him, when we watch how he goes, then we just do what he does. But it's still scary, and it can still be unsure. All we got to do is stay connected and keep our eyes on him, and he will show us the way in our race. Amen? All right, we got through page one. Congratulations. Page two. Oh, I got a few more comments on Hebrews 12, and we'll move on. The scripture says, let us run with endurance. That means it's going to take some effort on our part to run the race God has given us. We all have a race to run, and we all have a cheering section, which is good news. And even though the path is set before us, and even though Jesus goes before us, it is still up to us to move by faith forward. Believing and trusting God, we have to move. This wonderful, mysterious will, purpose, and plan of God is not going to magically take place while we sit at home watching Netflix. It is going to require some effort on our part. Section number two, our part versus God's part for his plan. Let's go to Philippians chapter four. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. One of the good books, Philippians chapter four. It is so weird having Pastor Josh in service. Usually I just say whatever I want. When he comes back, he fixes whatever I said. (laughs) Now he's here. I feel like he's writing like a report card. Like, "Eh, I don't need to tighten that up. I don't know. I don't know about that. (laughs) What version of the Bible are we using? I don't know. know. Is that approved? (laughs) (laughs) Philippians chapter 4. I want to show you a little bit of a formula here about our part of the plan versus God's part of the plan. Philippians 4, we're going to read verse 8. Verse 8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, so this is written to all of us, would we agree? One final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise, Keep putting into practice, if you're comfortable circling in your Bible, I like that word practice. Keep putting into practice, that means it's not a one-time event. This is going to over and over and over, practice makes perfect. All you have learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then, look at that word then, then the God of peace will be with you. It is almost as if the Apostle Paul is saying, when we do verse 8 then God steps in in verse 9. Isn't that interesting? Now let's apply this new thought of our part leads to God's part and back up two scriptures and read verse 6 and 7 with that formula in mind. Verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. I always want to say, yeah, better, easier said than done. Instead, pray about everything. So the answer to worry is prayer. Tell God what you need. And thank him for all he has done. Verse 7, look at this first word. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting? If we will practice verse 6, God is faithful to show up in verse 7. Let's unpack this verse a little more. Verse 6 again. Don't worry. This part may take some effort. But while you're trying not to worry, start praying. Tell God what you need. Some practical advice here, the louder your worry gets, you may have to turn up the volume on your prayer. Match the tone and intensity of the worry with your prayer, pray louder if you need to. And then third part, thank God for all he has done, what he has already done, what he is currently doing, and what he will do in the future thankfulness stirs up and activates your faith because you are thanking him for something that you are worrying about. And you're like, ah, thank you, Lord. Thankfulness is kind of like putting on your running shoes when you don't feel like running. I'm just going to leave that there. So when we do our part, verse 7 kicks in. Let's go to verse 7. Number one, we will experience God's peace. When we do our part, the word peace there is the Greek word irene. And according to my concordance, it means tranquility experienced after the cessation of war. That tells me there may be a fight between our head trying to worry, our flesh announcing to us what it needs and wants, and our heart that is trying to connect to God. But when we do our part, verse 6, it, by faith it opens the door for God to move in our lives. So we will experience God's peace. Part two, this peace exceeds anything that we can understand. So this peace here is greater or it is capable of exceeding the worry that we were previously experiencing. The word exceeds is "hooper echo and it means something that is superior and nothing can compare to it. And my concordance tells me that this word is a continuous, not a one-time action. This peace is superior to anything I can understand or comprehend with my mind. It is greater than the worry that is trying to assault me, than the thoughts that are trying to scream at me, or my flesh that is trying to go out of control. God's peace can overrule our reasoning, overrule our thoughts, and overrule the voices that are screaming the loudest in our lives, if we will do our part. Finally, number three. This peace will guard our heart and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. That means those outside of the kingdom are not eligible for this process. But those of us in the family of God have this guard for our minds. This word guard is the Greek word frureo, which is a really fun word. And it describes a military guard who protects the inhabitants of a city from invasion. I like the word filter. The peace of God acts as a filter in our hearts and minds, saying you can come in, you can't come in. That's of God, that's not of God. This is a good idea, this is not a good idea. Another word I like to use in English for frureo is bouncer. You ever seen a bouncer at a club? You're on the list, you can come in. You're not on the list, you can't come in. You're making a disturbance, we're going to escort you out. That's this word for the peace of God that guards your heart and mind. And my last one that I like is an umpire. If you've seen a sporting event, you've seen an umpire. What does he do? He calls the plays. Ball, strike, you're out. Good hit, good for you. Umpire, this is what the peace of God is. You can come, you can go. That's a good thought. That's not a good thought. That's God, that's not God. Yeah, guess what else? The peace of God is one of the primary ways he leads us in his plan for our lives. I was going somewhere. So as we get through this process, we arrive at the peace of God. And that is one of the ways, one of the primary ways, he leads us in his plan. Following God and following his peace is kind of like those kids games we used to play. Did you ever play growing up, Simon Says, or Follow the Leader, or my personal favorite, Red Light, Green Light? Anyone in here remember Red Light, Green Light? Red Light! Red Light! Green light. Red light. Green light. That's kind of how following the peace of God is. Green light. Go. Red light. Stop. We're not moving until the peace returns. Yellow light. Something is going on, and I'm going to figure out what it is before I move forward. Green light. Go. Red light. Stop. Not moving any further until the peace of God returns. Yellow light. What do I need to do to get to the green light? When we fulfill our part, God is faithful to do his part. Amen? All right, moving on. Let's go to Matthew chapter 19, section three. God's word is God's will. Section three, Matthew chapter 19. Everyone doing okay so far? I've got more stories, just haven't gotten to them yet. Do you know, Pastor Josh and I have known each other since we were teenagers. I have stories about him, and he has stories about me. And we don't tell all those stories. Matthew chapter 19. God's word is God's will. We're talking about following God's plan for your life. We've talked about we all have a race. We all have an individual race. Jesus is the leader. We want to stay connected to him. We want to follow his peace. When we put into action his word in our hearts. Matthew 19. God's word is God's will. God's word is often the first place he will speak to us about his plan for our lives. The word of God also prepares us for the next stage in running the race he has given to us. I want to show you that here in Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16. This is the rich young ruler. (laughs) Matthew's so funny. He says, someone came to Jesus, which in other words, it's a religious leader, and he's also young, and he's also rich, but someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do? to have eternal life. Why do you ask me who is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. I like to think Jesus slipped his own commandment in that last part. Love your neighbor as yourself. I was like, was that in the Old Testament? Jesus Didn't Jesus just come up with this commandment? He slips it in there. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. How many know the Lord is not after your stuff? He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be successful. He wants you to be healthy. What was he after with this young man? His heart it's clearly shown to us that this man valued things in the natural more than he valued Jesus in his own life. But notice this progression. Jesus first challenges him with the knowledge and the application of the word he already knew in his life. And notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, like, you shall have no other gods before me, although we know he does, and that's money. He doesn't say things like, I'm a jealous God. He doesn't say things like, love the Lord your God with all your heart. I believe because this young man wasn't ready for all that yet. But Jesus encountered him with the word that he already knew. And then he said, this is what I want you to do. And then come follow me. Be my disciple. That's the next step in your race. The word of God had prepared this young man to encounter Jesus. And then Jesus, the word of life, gave him the next steps for his life. I mean, he didn't do it, but we see that process, which tells me that when we read the word of God, and as we allow it to penetrate our lives and fill our hearts, then the Lord will begin to speak to us about the next stage. But the first thing Jesus did was talk about the word that he already knew, the revelation he already had, what was already real to him, and then he took it further. Nothing is more powerful in our lives than the word of God. How do I know this? Because remember when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the enemy? Do You remember like Jesus and the enemy started quoting the scripture to each other and and they go three rounds? It's amazing to me that of all the tools and all the weapons they could have used to fight each other, the weapon they chose to use was the word of God, telling me that it is the most powerful thing and the tool you have to defeat the enemy. If Jesus defeated the enemy using the word of God, guess what? that's what we're going to have to do too. The word of God is sharp, quick, powerful. We know that it does not return void, that it accomplishes what it's supposed to do, and it is a sure foundation in our lives and hearts. And oftentimes, the enemy you face is only attacking you for one reason. He's attacking the word of God that you are hearing and that you know, because he knows it is the only thing that can defeat him so it is in his best interest to attack the word of god in your life and what's coming to you we're going to go to second timothy my mom used to use an illustration when she was teaching and i'm going to steal it from her right now for credit for it even on mother's day ha that's a joke she used to tell this story she said what if the enemy just showed up at your house one day there's a knock on the front door and you look through the little peephole And there's a guy outside wearing a hockey mask, and he has a chainsaw, and he has a white t-shirt on, and written in blood on the t-shirt, it says, I am a killer, and I am here to steal, kill, and destroy your entire family. Would you open the door to that individual? You would not, correct? You would lock the door, double bolt the door, and call 911. In the same way, very often, the enemy is not going to frontally assault you like that. Because we say, hey, that's the enemy. Why would I even do that? and we close the door, the enemy's not that stupid. He is sneaky, and he's a liar, and he's a deceiver. He's gonna to try to come in the side door, or the back door, and he's gonna be, and so you don't recognize that he's the enemy. And in the same way, when we are running our race of faith, very often we're not gonna face full-on frontal assault, but things that are gonna come into our lives that are just gonna to try to just nudge us off the path God has for us. And one of the ways we can get back on the path, or back in the race, is with the word of God. This is the first place he will speak to you is from his word. And the other thing the word of God does, it trains you to hear and know the voice of God. I'm going to show that to you in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading in verse 15. This is the three stages of preparation when we encounter the Bible. Verse 15 says, you have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. So that's stage number one of how the word of God affects our lives. When we're young, whether in the natural or in the spiritual, we begin to hear the word of God. It leads us to salvation. It leads us to Jesus, and we begin to trust him. Verse 16, this is stage two. All scripture, we begin to understand that all scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. That's stage two. It begins to work in us. And it begins to work out of us the things that are not of God. And it begins to work in us the things that are of God. And then finally, we get to stage three, which is verse 17. God uses his word to prepare and equip us for every good work. The voice that speaks to you from the word of God is the same voice that leads you by your own spirit. Being in the word of God, reading it, studying it, allowing it to penetrate your heart, develops your ability to hear God's voice and to run your race. Amen? All right. We got one more scripture. Can you, are we all doing okay? You can handle a little bit more. All right. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. I mentioned earlier about practicing the presence of God. You're just not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, I know the whole race God has for me. I can see it all laid out in front of me. It's going to take time, and it's going to take practice to hear the voice of God. And I encourage you, to practice the presence. Because when you begin to practice the presence, you begin to have an expectation of the presence showing up. There is a chair in my house that I sit in almost every day to read the word of God and to pray. And you know, I've done this for so long in this chair, I actually get jealous when other people sit in that chair. I'm like, what are you doing? That's my chair. That's where I meet with God. Get get out of there. I'll come up sometimes in the morning and Gracie will be sitting in my anointed chair. And I'm like, how dare you? How dare you sit in my chair? And then I'm always like, do you feel, the, did you feel the Lord's presence in that chair? My brother was visiting recently from Florida, and he sat in the chair. And I said, ah, that's my chair. <laughs> but you know what's funny is I've been doing that for so long that when I sit in that chair, I immediately expect God to speak to me in that chair because I have sat there for so long reading the Word, worshiping and praying, and knowing. And now I just sit down. I'm like, all right, Lord, what you, I'm in the chair. What do you want me to do? And there's nothing special about that chair, but the fact that I have been there so often, uh, expecting the Lord's presence, that now I just expect him to show up and speak to me. As we practice these things, it will become easier and easier and easier to expect and hear the voice of God. And just as a practical, we're getting really, really practical before I read up my last scripture. You need to figure out and find out what works for you when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. We are all different, and God deals with each one of us differently. You know, I like to study at night. I do. And I got grief about this for years and years and years from anointed men of God being like, you can't study at night. You have to study first thing in the morning. Don't you know David said early in the morning I lift up my eyes to you? I am terrible at spending time with the Lord in the morning. And honestly, I don't think he wants to see me in the morning because I'm like, I'm here, Lord, I worship you. I admit, when I get up first thing in the morning and I open the Bible, it doesn't make sense. I'm not sure if it's written in English at 7 in the morning. And so I just, I finally just stopped. I said, this isn't working for me. But at night, oh man, like once Gracie goes to bed and the house is quiet, I can do some studying and praying. That's when I'm at my best. And I want to give God my best. Now, I do have a quiet time in the morning. Almost every morning, usually around 7 o'clock, 6.30, 30 minutes, I'm in the chair but I don't read the word because I'm not awake enough. I have a devotional that I read. That's what works for me. The devotional simple. I can understand it. It has practical illustrations, and it kind of primes my heart. And then I go into a time of worship. I'll put on some worship music. I'll have a time of prayer uh, before I go about my day. And I very rarely study in the morning because my brain and my heart are just not connecting with each other. I do that mostly at night. That's what works for me. Figure out what works for you. Figure out what space works for you. You know, If you have young children, it's going to be challenging. You are in a season where it's hard to find time to do anything. I get it. God is not up there with a stick saying, I wish they'd spend time with me. Whack! You have to figure out what works for you. Amen? If it's important to you enough, you will make time to do it. Everything that I really, really, really want to do, I find time and space and even money to do the things that I really, really want to do. I had a coach in high school. He said, Sean, time in the gym is never time wasted. Time in the presence of God is never time wasted. It is doing something in you that will never be undone. All right, last scripture. Let's go to Ephesians. I forgot to start my timer, so I have no idea how long I've been speaking. So we're just gonna finish up here in a minute. Ephesians chapter 5. I titled this section, section 4, wrap it up. Ephesians chapter (laughs) 5. Apparently I didn't come up with a header for this section. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Verse 17 says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. That's good news. Go back to verse 17. If the Bible says you can understand what the Lord wants you to do, guess what? You can understand what the Lord wants you to do. It's not a nebulous, mysterious, out-there-somewhere plan of God. No, the Word of God says you can understand what the Lord wants you to do. But notice your part. Don't act thoughtlessly. You're going to have to do something to understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now, we're going to read some verses. Don't get caught up in the language. Trust me on this. Verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine. Because that will ruin your life. I like the new living. It's just it's just straight to the point. The old King James, you're kind of like, yeah, okay. New living, it'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of very specific words in those verses I'm not going to get into. Can we just say it this way? These are examples of spiritual activities. And by prioritizing spiritual activities in your life, good things will happen, like understanding what the Lord wants you to do. It says here, be filled with the Spirit. It's interesting, the New Living, it says Holy Spirit, because in the Greek it just says pneuma, which usually means the breath of God. Pneuma just means wind. Uh, We still use the word pneuma in English, if you've ever heard of a pneumatic drill, that's an air compression drill. The word pneuma is the breath of God, and it says, be filled with the breath of God. The phrase there, be filled, is the Greek word pleroa, and it means filled to the full and full to the top. Filled to the full and full to the top. And it's most commonly translated in the New Testament, fulfill. If you have fulfilled something, that means there is nothing left you put all that together, when we prioritize spiritual activities, we can then be filled full of the Spirit of God, and it is much easier to fulfill His plan in our lives. What are spiritual activities? Things that feed and build up your spirit. Things that develop your spirit as you learn to be led by peace. As you learn to read the Word of God and let it speak to you. You can understand what the will of the Lord is for your life. You can run the race that God has set before you. You can hear the voice of God. You can find time to spend time with the Lord. You can read and understand his holy word. You can develop the spiritual sensitivity to hear the voice of God for yourself. You can do all these things in and through Christ Jesus. You can stay connected to Jesus as he goes before you. You can follow after him and do everything he wants you to do. Amen. Let's see. The last thing I will say, and then I'll wrap this up. When you begin to intentionally go after the presence and the voice of God in your life, other things in your life are going to pop up. We've already established the enemy does not want you to do these things. Your flesh, your desires that are not of God doesn't want you to do these things. And your mind does not want you to do these things. Let me tell you why. Your mind thinks it's the boss. Because without God, your mind is the boss. But when we get saved, God does something in our spirits because God is a spirit. He is not a mind and he doesn't have a body. He is a spirit. He created you as a spirit, and he speaks to you spirit to spirit. So all of a sudden, your mind is really upset because it has been the boss your whole life. And then when we come to God, all of a sudden, your spirit's the boss, and your mind doesn't like it. You are going to have to learn, this is not my message, to shut up your mind. And you're going to have to learn to shut up your flesh. And if you think your body doesn't have a voice, try missing a couple meals, and then tell me how loudly it's not screaming at you. It has a voice. Your mind has a voice. But your spirit, the part that connects with God, also has a voice. And that's the part we're trying to get to. And as you start to develop these things, as you start to spend time in the Word and in His presence, all of your life is going to start to yell loudly. My dad used to tell a story. He's like, I would just get all of you kids to bed. I would just sit down and get ready to read the Word, you know, full day. He said, and all of a sudden I would look up and I would see the curtains in our house. And all of a sudden, I would be obsessed with the idea of vacuuming the curtains. He's like, we've never cleaned a curtain in our house. I've never vacuumed a curtain in my entire life. But all of a sudden, I'm ready to spend time with God. And I'm like, I should vacuum those curtains. He's like, that thought had never occurred to me before or since. And that's just a silly example of how our flesh or everything around us wants us to keep us from God. And you're going to have to learn to shut down all those things and be like, Lord, this is your time. And I'm going to quiet every part of me. And as you begin to get in the presence of God, it'll get easier and easier and easier. It'll get easier to uh, quiet your mind down. It'll get easier to quiet your body down. And you'll start to be in uh, communion with the Lord. And he'll begin to show you things about your life. Amen? I think that's enough for today. You all good? Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life, know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com where Jesus loves you, we love you and your life counts.